0: would you start a sermon with a flubbed up passing of the baton? Well, I'm glad you asked. The answer is, that actually terrifies me. Not because of the injury that most likely took place, but because I think that this really could be a picture of what is happening in the church. We live in a world that has like you know, uh, oh, Christianity is about name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, whatever you want, you can have. Everything should be fine and good. And this baton that's being passed on is falling on the floor. And people who have had access to the gospel and this amazing message of the risen Savior who gives life, doesn't have access to it anymore. And if we're not careful, if we're not wise, we too can fumble that exchange. And I think it's something serious for us to consider. I I think that that could be a picture of what happens if we're not careful the fact that there is a God who loved us so much that he gave us life and that that message was passed on to the next generation to the next generation to the next generation and that you and I are running this race it is an amazing thing so don't, don't drop the hand off don't drop it I want to take you to a passage. It's in Hebrews as we uh, get started. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, if you raise your hand, one of our team members will get you scripture uh, right where you're at. If you don't have a Bible, it's our gift to you. We want you to have it. If you go, oh, you know what? Actually, um, my neighbor doesn't have one and I'd like to take it over to my neighbor's. Great. Great keep the Bible, take it over to your neighbors, let them have access to the gospel. If your neighbor doesn't need one and you don't need one, would you just give it back at the end? We appreciate that. All right. We're in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1 and go through verse 4 and talk about it. We're building context because we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. We're continuing this series and And in talking about the Holy Spirit, we need a little bit of context. So that's what we're building right now. Hang in there with me as we jump in. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let me pause, uh, some have suggested that this great cloud of witnesses are believers that have gone before us that are looking uh, through eternity. Others have suggested that these are believers that are that are looking into our lives that see us running this race. Uh, either way, we're on display as we're running. Keep going. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us well, we're going to have to run with endurance because this isn't a sprint it's an endurance race but there is this uh comment here lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us like those things drag us down and i want to suggest that there is sin in our life that is default sin that hangs on to us that we often would just justify and say you know what that. That's my personality. That's how I grew up in my home. And and we justify some of those things. And it actually slows us down in full view of this great cloud of witnesses. He says, lay it aside. It's clinging to you. It's so close you might not even realize it, but it's actually hindering your, your race. And then he gives us a key. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So as we're running, we're running looking at Jesus. Jesus, we are fixed on him. We're not looking at the winds and the waves that are crashing in. We're not looking at the crowd of witnesses. But our example, that whom we're looking for, that whom we're serving, that's Jesus. And we're focused on him, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He knew what that cross was going to give to us, willing to give his life that we could have life. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let me pause there before... Uh, we go into verse four. So you won't grow weary. I I don't know what your story is. Let me share just real briefly about my story. When I first got saved, uh, one of the main messages, one of the main teachings that just resonated in my head was the Lord's return. He's coming back. And I, I remember hungering for that, like at night being up going, oh, Jesus, you might be coming back tonight. If you come back tonight, have I been following you? Have I been faithful? And just always, it was like there was this constant calibration of, uh, I, I know I'm saved by grace and I don't have to earn my salvation at the same time. I'm following you. I want to be obedient. Am I being obedient to your word? Am I following you? And also, I'm already tired of this world. Like, I, I know that there's something better. And a year went by, and two years went by, and five years went by, and I went, oh, okay, well, maybe I'm misunderstanding his return. And then someone would come and they would preach this message about the Lord's return, and I get excited. I go, yes, he is coming. Thank you for assuring that he's coming again. And a year would go by, and two years would go by, and I just kind of got tired. And then I'd hear another message, and then I'd read scripture, and. And I was challenged in my faith. I don't know if that's how you've been, but let me suggest something to you. Keep running. Keep running, because we live in unique times, in times where the rest of the world, I think, if they could look in a historical view, if they could see what is happening right now in terms of the world history, they might go, what? Scripture is being fulfilled in ways now that we have we've we never experienced. The time is quickly approaching for Christ's return, and I can't tell you that that's going to be a year from now or 10 years from now or tomorrow. Like I don't know what that is, but I am saying standing on this hill, looking through the hills and valleys, I have a clear shot and it just seems like Jesus' return is imminent. Like this is happening and we see a nation that has never, uh, rather, uh, was, was just taken out of the land, come back after 1800 years and be a country again? Like, when has that ever happened? And it just happens to be the people that God talked about? Oh, and they had this language that was dead for nearly 2000 years, and it came back? What? We are seeing things fulfilled in the scriptures in ways that the world hasn't seen in a very long time. Jesus is coming back. His return is imminent. And we are running a race, and if we're not careful, we're going to drop that baton. And there are people who desperately need to hear this message of salvation that the church uniquely and specifically, and corporately, and individually, stewards. We can't drop the baton. Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I love that. What a great reminder. <laughs> You're still in the game. This is not over yet. Uh, I, I, my accountability partner... His name's Brian. Love Brian. Uh, He and I meet uh, pretty regularly. We talk on the phone and sometimes I'll complain and he'll go, "Uh, you know what, Kenny? When you have suffered like Christ, then that's a legitimate complaint. I'm not talking to you anymore, Brian. (laughs) But it's legit though, right? Like, hey, we're still in this game. We haven't sacrificed to the point of bloodshed. Keep going. He's coming back. And I share all of this in in this context because we're going to be talking about the work of the Holy Spirit and specifically how the Holy Spirit leads us. And so, first of all, I want to say, if you're a believer, stay in the game. I have a responsibility and so do you. And all of us are carrying a baton and we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses keep running the race. Here's where we're going today. We're going to first of all talk about uh, the Holy Spirit and how we receive him at salvation. Matt's going to be talking about that in more detail next week for you, but this week we're just going to identify that indeed we do have the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Secondly, we're going to talk about how this indwelling spirit leads us that he guides into all truth. Not just that, but he convicts and transforms us. Uh, Not just that, but he empowers and equips us with spiritual gifts. Not just that, but he leads and affirms a relationship with him. Would you join me as we pray? God, we need you so much. And we have at times... Honestly, we've been lazy. Uh, At times, uh, we have been stubborn. At times, we've even been stiff necked. At times, Lord, we have been uh, hardened to truth. And we would just come before you today and ask that you would forgive us, that you wouldn't stop what you have started in our lives. Holy Spirit, continue. Guide, convict, transform, empower, equip, lead, affirm the truths of your word. Lord, don't stop, because we need you. And it's in Jesus Christ precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's just jump right in. Uh, We receive the Holy Spirit upon salvation. Uh, We're going to look at a couple of verses, but I think that's important for us. When we talk about the leading of the Spirit, it's important for us to know that this isn't just like this external thing that is happening. I think Matt talked about that a lot last week, that it's not the force that's out there that somehow we tap into, but rather for all who have called on the name of the Lord, God indwells us. That's a big point. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says it this way, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. We have something right now, that is eternal and is good and is a down payment, a promise of what is to come. Uh, Don't miss that. And that is available for everyone who receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, for all who have that salvation, who have been born again, not of the flesh, not of a, a, a really good argument, but a spiritual birth, have the Holy Spirit. Additionally, Romans 8, 9 reminds us you However, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So we recognize that if the spirit indwells us, then we belong to him. They're interconnected. So we have the spirit indwelling. Uh, what do we do with the Spirit indwelling us. How do we live our life? And let me suggest that a big part of running this race is allowing the Spirit of God to lead us. I, sorry, I'm trying to hold back a little bit, just so you know. There's, oh, there's a stirring. I want to make sure we're in the Spirit and not the flesh. Here we go. What is he talking about? Eh, too bad. We'll see. The Holy Spirit leads us. He guides us into all truth. John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Let me ask you a question Do do you believe that this Bible is true? Do you believe that this actually is God's Word? That he uniquely gave it, that he's preserved it throughout history, uniquely and specifically, and mysteriously, and um, I, I would say miraculously, but that this is actually God's word. Do, do you believe that? Because if, if you believe that, then that's going to have an impact on where we go. If, if the Spirit of God leads us to all truth, wouldn't he lead us to his word? Like, his word is important, is very profound, is amazing, and you and I have access to it for free. Like, we can just go on our device and access it for free. I can be driving down the road and have access to the word of God without being like, oh, hey, uh, on the steering wheel. Like, I can hear it in ways that the rest of history hasn't had access I can be at home reading the Word of God. I have like five translations in one room of my house. I have access to the Word of God, and perhaps you do too. Now, why does that matter? Because if the Spirit of God is leading us to truth, we have to be honest. Am I willing to go to where the Lord is leading me? Am I willing to dig in? Do I really think that this is the Word of God that is giving me uh, life, that is giving me wisdom, that is empowering me, that is uh, convicting me, that the Spirit is using to convict of sin? Do I really believe that? Because if I do, it should influence some things. Before I go any further, I love you. I, I think what I'm about to say is truth and love. That's my intention. But I, I want to be honest. And if, if this hurts, know that I love you. Uh, if this is for your spouse, give him an elbow. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. So often, I'll just say, as a pastor, I get in these places of conversation. And when we get to that place of truth, oftentimes, the lead conversation, the lead point, the main thing is, what did CNN say? Or what did Fox News say? Or what did my political party say about this? Or what does my, this TikTok influencer have to say? What does my uh, favorite athlete have to say? What does my favorite actor or actress have to say? Because it really matters. That person who found an amazing plastic surgeon should have such influence in my life. What? How can I go down that road of, you really can throw a baseball, you're so good at it. What do you have to say about eternal life? That's dumb. Why would I go there? Or to this actor or actress who acts for a living. (laughs) I care more about what they say than what the word says. If that's the case, it's time to repent. I am not saying that you shouldn't watch the news. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have people that uh, are influential, especially if those people love the Lord and are directing you to the Lord. That, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that just in terms of volume of time and information, if we are feeding our brains uh What somebody else is saying, or a news outlet, or uh, what an athlete, or an actor, or entertainer has to say, that's a problem. If that is outweighing what we're getting from the scriptures, guys, I have friends who are struggling with this, people who are in ministry, who are starting to say, you know what, as I consider our culture I think maybe our culture has a stronger input than we have given credit and should inform the Scripture. Like, I weep for them. Are you kidding me? That's your answer? That's your response? After knowing the Lord all these years, after engaging, you want to say that our culture is actually going to change what is true? That's ridiculous. And they can say that because where they're being led Their truth is not from the word of God. And that's a problem. The spirit of God leads us to all truth. He's going to lead us to his word. And I want to encourage us and I want to challenge us to take this as the word of God. And if the word of God has something to say about it, like I shouldn't be scrolling for hours on what everyone else has to say about things, but rather going, you know what? I wonder what God's word has to say about a godly marriage. By the way, I just turned to the Song of Solomon randomly. That's pretty cool. Uh, That is pretty cool. What does God's word have to say about living a life that is dedicated to him? What does God's word have to say? And we need to go there. All right. Additionally. He convicts and transforms. We put that together very purposefully. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. John 16, 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Like one of the things that the Spirit of God does is convict us of sin. And it's super important that we recognize that he convicts us of sin. I, again, uh, so many times, can't tell you how many I don't know if it's 50, I don't know if it's 100, I don't know if it's 1,000. I'm not sure what that number is. A lot of people who have come to me and say, God, Kenny, we just need a revival. I want a revival, just a movement of God and this culture. Wouldn't that be great? I say, yeah. But wouldn't it be great if it started with us? Like, yeah, the culture needs it. Absolutely. But shouldn't that begin with me? If the Holy Spirit is at work, one of the things he does is convict of sin. And so we never see revival without the confession of sin. It just doesn't happen. So you want a revival? Start confessing sin. Well, can't you just confess yours? Isn't that enough? It doesn't work that way. What happens when I start identifying and honestly saying, this this is pride in my life and it's got to go? I confess that, Lord Jesus, and I'm, I'm going to repent of that, and I'm going to ask for uh, accountability in these areas. Hey, you know what? Uh, I want to do my own thing from time to time. I don't particularly like input sometimes, and sometimes that's not healthy. And I, I, I need the Spirit of God to deal with me in those places where that's just selfish, arrogant pride. Confess it and repent. What happens when a whole church does that? I think it's called revival. By the way, revival, once it starts, it doesn't have to ever stop. Think about those for a second. The angels in heaven, they're not around the throne room of God and they go, whew, that was really cool revival we had with God right then. Wasn't it? That was sweet. Uh, well, what's next? No. They continue in the presence of God. Holy, holy, holy are you. Oh, who is worthy? You alone are worthy. That revival doesn't stop in the throne room of God, and it's not supposed to stop with the children of God either. Uh, It continues on. The Holy Spirit will convict us. uh, Let me be even more vulnerable. Uh, This situation, this war, in Israel, I got to tell you, it stirred some stuff in my heart. And one of the things that it stirred, and again, I'm going to be very, very honest, and maybe too honest in a public setting, but I'm going to be, uh, and that is this: that I'm like, how can they do that? How can Hamas come in like they ha- like they did and kill people and rape people and? the vulgarity of all of it and the way that it gone. like in my heart, I've caught myself going, you just bomb them. Like that's my answer. Just bomb them. Well, they did awful things, yeah, and who hasn't? I'm not justifying anything they've done. I am saying if the standard is they've done bad things, then we're all guilty. Also, I want to identify this, that my natural default reaction is to bomb them, not they need Jesus. Do you know that nearly 97%, and that number is somewhat argued, 97% of the people in Israel don't know Jesus, don't know him, uh, never called on him as Lord and Savior. That number in the military is a little bit higher. In other words, those in Israel who are believers in the Messiah are generally a little bit older in terms of, uh, uh, and, and outside of their military service career. So what am I saying? I'm saying that many of the deaths that we have heard about are people who didn't know Jesus as their savior. And if our answer, as Christians, the government has their own responsibility, but as Christians, if our answer is bomb them, kill them, we are sending people to hell. What if, what if the church gathers and the church says, Lord. It's not death that we want for Hamas. It's repentance. It's a call on Jesus as their Savior. How amazing, Lord, if you would just minister to them. Maybe there are people who can speak truth into them. Maybe you want to come to them in a dream and and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah in a dream, as you have been doing throughout the Muslim world in some pretty miraculous ways. Maybe that's what you want to do. But, Lord, would you save people? Would they know you as their Lord and Savior? Would there be a transformation? Would they, like Paul, go, what have I done and Repent with eyes to see, Lord. Would you do that in the world of Hamas? Would you do that in Islam? Would you do that to those people who were our, our default? Is how disgusting, and our the answer is still Jesus. What would happen if the church gathered? That? What if the church even just said, "You know what"? In Israel. Your Messiah has come. Israel, we want you to know, Lord, would you somehow redeem these type of moments in such a way that they would see Jesus, the the Messiah, that they would go, Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus, you are my Messiah, and that they would repent and respond to him. Oh, that the church would have those prayers because the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness, and judgment. He also transforms. I love that. He's in the business of transforming. That who you were, you don't have to remain there. You don't have to be that. There's a transformation that can occur. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the... I love the language here. It reminds us of this relationship that Moses had with God unveiled before God, he just experienced this, uh, the presence of God in profound ways that it affected his face, the countenance, the glow that he had as he comes down. There's this reference to that, this, uh, this imagery that's giving, that's given. And we are like that, according to this passage, beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's the Spirit's work to do that. So are you catching the flow here? As we are in the presence of God, there is a transformation that occurs. And it's progressive in this transformation that we're starting to look more and more like Jesus. Now I don't mean that you're growing a beard and wearing a robe. That's not what I'm referring to. What I do mean, though, is that your attitude and your actions start to align more and more with who Christ is. So what does that mean? That means that we should be able to go, hey, six months ago, one year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20, whatever that number is, you looked a certain way spiritually, and you've been growing, and you've been growing God's been transforming you and you're looking more like Jesus and you are so much more willing to sacrifice. You are so much more willing to engage in the spiritual life in ways that you hadn't been in the past. And it is a beautiful thing and I see that transformation in you and it makes me want to engage in new and different ways. So is the reciprocal true? Maybe we don't look that much different than 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 6 months ago, 1 year ago, 1 month ago. Because we're not in the presence of God. Possibly. Possibly. Let's keep going. He empowers us and equips us with spiritual gifts. Uh, This empowerment's promised in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Love this. Uh, But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Love this. Uh, this is Jesus, uh, at his, after his resurrection, he is speaking to the disciples just before he ascends to heaven. And he gives them this, hey, you, you're going to be my witnesses. W- what does that mean? That means that this group of people, is, they're going to talk about, they're going to witness to others what God has done. Let me tell you about this Jesus. And maybe it's in a historical setting, but maybe it's in a relational setting. This is what he's done in my life. This is how he's transformed. This is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ matters, and this is what he did. Uh, But it's preceded with when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, there's going to be a work of the Spirit of God in your life to do that task, to witness Some of you have already engaged in the 28-day gospel challenge. Uh, I I hope your hearts encourage the first seven days is familiarizing ourselves with the gospel. What is the gospel? Uh, That we're sinners, we need a savior, that Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he conquered sin and death, rose from the grave, and anyone who repents and calls on his name is saved and and so we're familiarizing ourselves with that first week that's what the last 7 days have been but today begins a new section of that where we also are praying lord open our eyes we're going to have some interactions with people help us to be your witnesses holy spirit do your work please in me and then to share the gospel empowered by the holy spirit as witnesses. Uh, This is a fun thing. It's promised, Acts chapter 1, but let me show you. It it actually happened. Uh, 15, 20 years later, uh, 1 Corinthians is written, and as it's written, after the historical events of Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There is a spiritual gift that I have been given That is for the common good. What is the common good? That's other believers. So I've been given a gift to apply, to use, for the sake of growth with other believers. That is not just for pastors. That is for everyone who is called on the name of the Lord. In other words, you also have a gift that God has given you for the sake, for the common good, for other believers. And you might go, oh, Oh, my gift isn't like that other person's gift. And if you tell me that as one of your pastors, here's what I'll say. Good! That gift is already here. We need your gift. And God, who is infinitely more intelligent than we are, knew that. He knew that ahead of time. And he placed you here for such a time as this to exercise the unique gift that the Spirit of God has given you. Would you be willing to do that? Would you exercise it or or are you going to hold it back? Will you you give it in the grace that was given to you, to others, or or are we going to hold on to it? So there is an empowerment that the Spirit of God has given us, not just as a promise, but also is given to us to exercise. What I'm saying is the gift that God has given you, that he's given me, was not intended to remain silent. Um, I'll just go ahead and say this okay so there are assessments that you can take and those assessments are great and they're wonderful also Paul didn't have an assessment that he took and he seemed to be pretty confident in his gift set okay so why do I tell you that I tell you that because there is a way of understanding our spiritual gifts So what is the work of God in my life? And the way that we understand it is by actually getting out and serving. And there's this beauty of getting out there and you're like, okay, I'm serving and this is what I'm doing and this doesn't seem to be it. And somebody will go, yeah, this one isn't it. Uh, You should try something different. And that's great. You've learned something. There are other times where you'll, you'll serve, like you'll give it all out to the Lord, and you're like, if I did this 24-7, I couldn't not do this. Like, this is my passion. I love this. And somebody will go, yep, you do, and you're good at it, and God equipped, equipped you for it, and he wants you to serve within his body with this beautiful gift that you have. What I'm saying is the best assessment is by getting out and serving and watching to see what comes up. God will show you he leads and affirms a personal relationship. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Uh, I love this. There is the reality of the relationship that we have with God that is affirmed. He's leading us. He's directing us. Let that be an affirmation. You're a confessing sin, you're repenting from that sin, you're allowing the spirit of God to use you in a way that you're serving others. That is a beautiful thing and that reality affirms this relationship and the relationship is you've been adopted. Like oh, God has you a part of his family. This family that he loves in ways that your own physical father, maybe, maybe you had a great relationship with your dad, and you go, oh man, if God loves me even more than that, that is remarkable. Or maybe you had a really poor relationship with your dad, and let me tell you, God loves you way more, perfect, he loves you perfectly, and he's adopted you into his family. And with that adoption comes an inheritance, and it comes a position You belong to him. And in belonging to him, there is uh, some confidence that you can walk in. There is no one greater than God. No one. No person on this earth, no country, no nation on this earth that is greater than God. In other words, everyone is going to stand accountable to him on that day. And we can walk in some confidence that God has adopted us and loves us and has called us to him. And that in those times where people go, you know what, I think maybe the culture does inform this, we can go, no, no, it doesn't. The culture is a servant to this, should be, just as I'm a servant to this, because it's exactly what God created us for. You and I are handing, holding a baton, and we're running a race. And the world has tried to speak into this race. And they've tried to muddy the waters. And they've tried to make it look really bad. And I want to tell you, this race is really good. And it's worth it. And you and I are living in a time where prophecies are being fulfilled in our very eyes. Like in real time this is happening. We can have some amazing confidence. So if we want the Spirit of God to work within us if we want to experience uh, this relationship with God, then there there are some things I want to suggest that we can do together. Here are some of them. Immerse yourself in God's word. Uh, Again, we have access. Let's treat this like this is God's word. The one who spoke, this is his words. He created something out of nothing. That's pretty powerful. Uh, He gave us his word. Like, this is what's important to him, so read it. Drink it in. Let it be sweet to you. Chew on it. Watch and see what God will do with it. You don't know where to start, I would encourage you to start in John. That's a great place if you want to see the work of Christ and the relationship of Christ uh, revealed with other people. Uh, You can certainly do that. If you're not, you're like, ah, I just finished that. Go to the Psalms. The Psalms are another great place of of just going and seeing how to worship in a, in a good and right way. Practice spiritual disciplines, memorizing scripture. Uh, have an extended time of meditation, of quiet meditation, and just so we're all on the same page. When I say quiet meditation, I don't mean, hum, just have to empty my mind. No, that's not what I mean. A quiet meditation is taking the Word of God and reading it, understanding the context around it, but saying, okay, Lord, uh, I, w- I want to understand, oh, I see how you wrote to, or how you spoke through Jeremiah, and Lord, you are the God who speaks to people, and I want to celebrate you for who you are. And you might go, oh, and I see some of these prophecies throughout Jeremiah, and Lord, as I read these prophecies and I see them fulfilled in Jesus, I celebrate you, and I think of the things that you're doing even now, like you are still active, and you just meditate quietly or loud if you're by yourself in another room. Fasting is another great way of pausing before God and saying, you know what? You know what is more important to me than food? You. And I'm willing to discipline my life in such a way that I will give up food for such a time that I would have time with you because you actually nourish me. Three. Discover your, uh, discover and use your spiritual gifts. Uh, we've talked about that. Okay. Here's an assessment for some of you who are like, Yeah, I just want the assessment. Okay. Here's one. Um, you can start there, but please serve. And then finally, engage in the 28 day challenge, uh, gospel challenge. If you haven't signed up, uh, let me encourage you to sign up today. The these challenges will come every day in a text early in the morning. So that you can start your day with your mind just kind of stayed on. What what is the word of God? And what is the challenge? And led by the Holy Spirit, I I, I just want to follow him and see what he has for us in this place. This is a good place for us uh, to transition. And to talk about uh, communion as the worship team comes. Uh, At Friendship, we have what's called open communion, which means that You don't have to be a member of Friendship Church, but you do need to be a member of God's church by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you have a relationship with him, great, you should participate. In fact, I would even go as far to say that the Lord has asked us to participate in communion. Additionally, we're called to humble ourselves before God and just ask him, Lord, illuminate my heart. Is there any wicked way in me? it's likely that God will identify something. And in that place, to confess it, to repent, to turn away and turn towards Christ uh, is a part of communion. We would ask that you would go to the station nearest you, get both the bread and the cup, and return to your seat, and then we'll participate all together. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask that you would be exalted We're so thankful that you have allowed us to run this race. Let us run it with our eyes fixed on you. Use us and guide us. And Lord, even today as we come together and participate in communion, we are participating with the saints all over the world, the church visible and invisible. For all who have received you and we are in unison saying thank you for the body that was broken. Thank you for the blood that was shed. That I could have life and that I could start experiencing that eternal life even now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.